Hello, science enthusiasts. My name is Jason Zakowski, and your host. I'm a high school chemistry teacher, but you, you probably know our dog, Bunsen Burner. He's the Twitter science dog. This show takes what's best about Bunsen's account, the science and empathy found there, and spins it into podcast form. Every week, you'll learn some new science in our science news section. We'll also talk about some really interesting dog or pet science. Every week, there's an amazing expert that is interviewed, and we get to learn so much from them. And we end the podcast with stories and trivia. This is The Science Podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another podcast episode where we're all locked down together. Um, So kind of ironically, I'm now on spring break from teaching. This is the normal week where we would have spring break. And they decided that they really shouldn't cancel spring break, even though nobody's really going anywhere. Traditionally, a lot of people in Canada use spring break if they've saved up enough money and they have the means to, to go someplace warm. Uh, especially in Alberta, because if you've seen the pictures of Bunsen and me out and about, we still have an enormous amount of snow. It really looks no different today outside than it did in December. Um, so people get a little sick of the snow. Um, I've dubbed our uh, w- our room. We have this room that's kind of shaped like a turret. It's got windows all around it and the, the the sun beats into the room and that's where Bunsen goes to have his naps. I've dubbed that room uh, Mexico or Tahiti. So I go to Mexico or Tahiti during my spring break to read some books. Um, And Bunsen's just out there lounging and having his big sleep. This week on the Science Podcast, we're going to be talking about kind of something that's controversial in science news. What's the science behind cloth masks? Are they effective? Should we be wearing them? In dog science, I've got a really cool article where we're going to talk about how dogs see the world. And the guests in Ask an Expert are so exciting, I have got the Amoeba Sisters on as our experts. And the Amoeba Sisters, you'll you'll learn a little bit more about them later. They are sisters, but they run this massive YouTube channel, which has whimsical and adorable and educational cartoons about biology and all of the teachers I've talked to use their videos in class and and it's so fun to get to talk to them and as always we've got trivia and Bunsen stuff at the end of the show hey Bunsen what's warm and cuddly but then feels like burning an amoeba hug (laughs) okay on with the show because there's no time like science time this week in science news let's talk a little bit about masks and COVID-19. Chris and I know this amazing lady who does a lot of the work with the costumes I make with fabric because I'm terrible at sewing. And that's not her day job. Like she does that on the side to help us. Mostly what she does is she's a seamstress. And she's made a bunch of cloth masks for Chris and uh, our father-in-law, Gord. Both of the governments in Canada and the United States um, have stated that you should be wearing masks when you're out and about. But what is the evidence for wearing cloth masks? If you've been on Twitter and Bunsen is on Twitter, man, the information, misinformation, anger, frustration, confusion around masks rages every single day. And I'm just doing a quick kind of recap of the main pieces of evidence for cloth masks. Now, cloth masks, what we're talking about, are not the same as the specialized, I think they're called N95 
95 masks that is used in hospitals. These are masks you would make at home from fabric. Okay, so what's the evidence for wearing cloth masks? What does the science say? In a nutshell, if you wear a cloth mask, they may cut down on large droplets from when you cough or when you sneeze. It's super unclear, but the evidence seems to show they will not catch droplets from breathing or talking. As well, you are not safe from people breathing or talking. The conclusion is thus, wearing cloth masks may protect others from you giving them the virus when you cough or when you sneeze, but they are not very effective. So they are to be used, obviously, in conjunction with washing your hands and physical distancing. So though both governments in Canada and the United States have recommended wearing cloth masks, when you look at the evidence of what works, it's pretty thin. Um, the U.S. National Academies of Science, Engineering, and Medicine highlighted this, actually. They said that it really depends on the type of cloth that you use. Some cloths catch droplets better but are almost impossible to breathe through. <laughs> so one study showed that, and I will talk about it in a second, that it, the cloth mask could be made pretty effective, um, but if you wear them, you'll just pass out. <laughs> so that, I mean, you'll be safe from potentially some things, but you're just going to conk over because you can't breathe. <laughs> and in other studies, it showed that they don't do anything catching the little droplets. So if you have the virus and you're asymptomatic and you're going to Costco or Walmart or you know wherever and you're breathing out, cloth masks are not going to stop that. So the study uh, that the uh, National Academies of Science and Engineering looked at um, put together the best cloth fabric mask they could make. It was basically 16 layers of handkerchiefs <laughs> sewed together. And it did great, actually. It filtered out more than half of very small particles, 300 nanometers or bigger, right? That's pretty small. Sadly, the SARS-CoV-19 virus is much smaller than that. So even 16 layers of cloth fabric together, you know, it wouldn't stop the virus from getting in and out, but it would stop the virus that would be, you know, within a droplet. It would stop that. The problem with this 16-layer mask, as I said, this was super hard to breathe through. It got crazy hot, and wearing it for more than 5 to 10 minutes made people lightheaded and possibly pass out. So, not great in a hospital situation. Also, you don't want people just dropping like flies while they're shopping in Costco. The surgical masks used in hospitals did a lot better. Um, Nature Medicine took a look at... Uh, influenza and how it protected against influenza in people that wore surgical masks and people that didn't. And after 30 minutes, it did a great job of decreasing the amount of virus that was breathed out. So surgical masks are a step above cloth masks. Both studies cautioned that surgical masks and cloth masks became almost ineffective when they got wet. So I don't know if you saw our Prime Minister, Justin Trudeau, talking, he said, don't moistly speak. Um, and then he kind of like realized how disgusting that sounded. <laughs> and he, he tried to walk back to what he said. So you don't want to get your masks too moist. <laughs> um, so they become ineffective if they get wet. Perhaps the biggest reason to wear cloth masks or masks in general isn't due to the ability of them to protect yourself from virus. It's a psychological barrier. 
A vast majority of people surveyed say that when they see somebody with a mask, they assume that person is sick and they give that person a wide berth. So if you wear a mask, people may respect the physical distance levels between you and them. It's supposed to be about two meters. That's about two button Bunsen's or like a moose, um, you know, a couple hockey sticks. So you have to you have to give people that space. And if you're wearing a mask, people are going to respect that because they're just going to assume you're sick. Also, in people surveyed, when they saw somebody wearing a mask out and about, it reminded them not to touch their face. It reminded them that they're in a pandemic. It reminded them to wash their hands when they get home um, greater than seeing people without a mask. So the psychological reasons are outweighing the ability of masks to catch and trap virus. So I guess if you can make a cloth mask or if you have access to cloth masks, it's not going to hurt you to wear one when you're out and about. It may stop you from giving the virus to other people. The general recommendations are to wear one and, and it's there potentially for also good psychological reasons. When people see you wearing a mask, Maybe they think twice about doing something that could infect themselves as well. So that's the updated news on uh, cloth masks. Obviously, different types of masks are much more effective. Cloth masks are down at the bottom, but also fairly easy to construct yourself. And that's what we got uh, our friend to do for, for us and for our father-in-law. That's science news for this week. This week in dog science, we're going to talk a little bit about what dogs see. Every time I post something about what Bunsen sees, I occasionally forget to have, because if you follow him on Twitter, it's in his own voice. And I forget he's a dog and he can't see the same things that we can see. Or so the evidence seems to show. And I don't think I've talked about this on the podcast before. And if I have, there's a new study or a different study that did a really interesting um, technique to figure out if dogs are colorblind. And the conclusion is that they probably are red-green colorblind. If you throw something red on the green grass, they may not be able to see it very well, if at all. In humans, around 8% of men are colorblind and about 0.5% of women are colorblind as well. So it's a lot less in women. And 8% of men is a fairly high percentage. But you can't ask a dog, like, at a, <laughs> you know, you've been to an optometrist before, and they're like, uh, <laughs> they're like, which one's better? One or two, three or four. And they put the little lens in front of your eye. And if you have anxiety and the two are about the same, you don't know which one to tell the optometrist. Like, I don't know, is two better? Am I going to have terrible glasses? But you can't do that with the dog. Like, which one's better, one or two? And the dog's just going to sit there or you know, lick the machine. <laughs> so we have to look at what their eyes are made of uh, biologically. But we also have some behavioral studies that can shed some light on it too. The latest study is very small. It had only 16 dogs of a, a hodgepodge of different types of breeds. But it used a more uh, psychological type study uh, observational study than something like looking at the actual biology of a dog eye. When I was young, I really thought dogs only saw in black and white. And I think that came from an episode of The Simpsons when Bart was trying to teach their dog and their dog in The Simpsons is called Santa's Little Helper. He was trying to teach Santa's Little Helper to be a better dog. And when he was talking to Santa's Little Helper, it showed it the point of view from the dog's point of view and everything was like all warbly. Um, in black and white. 
And we didn't talk about dogs in biology in high school. So I just assumed that's what dogs saw. And it wasn't until I was much older that I read that dogs can see color, just maybe not the same type of colors that we have. So dogs do have cone type cells in their eyes. And there's only two, one that is sensitive to yellow and another that's sensitive to blue, right? So if dogs have cones in their eyes, one that's sensitive to yellow and another to blue, that means they can see those colors and hues of those colors. They don't have any red sensitive cones. So this has been the main reason why we think dogs can see yellows, they can see blues, but they can't see reds as easily. A professor in the Department of Veterinary Medicine at the University of Barrie in Italy, Marcello Siniscalaschi, took a really interesting way to test dogs practically. Not a computer simulation based on what their eyes were made of, but a, a variation of a test that we use on humans to determine colorblindness. In humans, it's called the Ishihara color test. So basically you put a number, like a red number, on a solid green circle. So if you think, if you can't see red, you can only see green, you won't be able to see that number in the circle. You only see a single color. Now you, it's hard to do that with the dog because dogs can't count. Or maybe some border collies can count. I don't know if Bunsen can count. I think Bunsen can count sort of, like he knows if you give him five treats instead of three. But if you give Bunsen a math problem, he'll just like he'll he'll just like take it away and pretend it's a game. He's not solving any math, even though he's really smart. <laughs> but the scientist team used uh, animations of cats that were running, something that would really get the dog's attention. So the first one they used the cat that was outlined in bright red, and it was running against a green background. So bright red, green background, and boom, the dog saw it right away. So there was enough of a color variance the dogs were able to see it. But when the cat was shown as being dark red against the green background, for all intents and purposes, the dogs didn't even acknowledge the cat was running. They didn't see this sketchy cat at all. So the conclusion from this small study was that the running cat that was shown in bright red against the green background was enough of a color variance that they could see it. So it wasn't that they were seeing red, it was that they were seeing the differences in shade between two colors. But when those shades became the same, it was essentially the exact same color. So this shows uh, some evidence for red-green color blindness in dogs. It's weak evidence because the study's so small, and the team made that very clear in the conclusion that they'd love more evidence um, and they'd love to repeat the study with a larger group than 16 dogs. They'd like other scientists to tackle this as well. One of the things you have to remember is that dogs were selected by humans from wild dogs or wolves. And those animals need to, you know, can be quite active at night. So the color shade isn't as important as the movement that they can see or being able to see an exact color isn't as important as the movement. Um, so you have to be really careful with dogs during the day that you don't inadvertently hurt them because they can't see things. So for example, like if you put, if you're setting up an obstacle course for a dog and the jumps are red and it's around green hues of grass, they may just see both of those as shades of like gray or yellow and actually hurt themselves and run into run into it because it'll be it'll be invisible to them. So just keep that in mind. The dog eye seems to show that they are red green colorblind and and through observational evidence using this really unique test, they are also red green colorblind or at least shades of. And that's really interesting. So 
Don't worry so much about the shade of the ball that you're getting your dog, except maybe don't get them a red ball, because if you throw the red ball on green grass, it may just go invisible to them. (laughs) That's dog science for this week. Hey guys, before we get to the interview section, I thought I'd tell you a little bit about how the podcast is made possible. It's made possible with listeners just like you through our Patreon page. The podcast is always going to be free for you to download and listen to and have fun with us. But the way that we make the show go and, and pay for the fees and and everything else that goes with running one is through the donations per month on our Patreon page. If you're interested, head over there to patreon.com backslash Bunsen burner. There's a link in the show notes and there's four tiers of support. Why else might you want to join the Patreon page? That's for the cool perks that we've got for you there. Each tier has some really cool perks with the top tiers, getting a shout out in the podcast and playtime with Bunsen on our Furbo. On top of that, we'll send you some swag from time to time and postcards a couple times a year. If you want to support us, we'd so appreciate it. Okay. Thanks back to the show. On the Science Podcast today, I am so excited to have the Amoeba Sisters, Serena Peterson and Brianna Rapini. Awesome. We're so excited to be here and be on the podcast. Yes, thank you so much for having me. Now, people outside of education may not know who the Amoeba Sisters are. So the Amoeba Sisters basically is this massive YouTube channel. So the educators that are listening are going to immediately know who the Amoeba Sisters are because a lot of the biology teachers and science teachers use your amazing videos in the classroom. Can you tell everybody a little bit about like who you are? Like, wh- What did you do before this YouTube channel became such a huge thing? So I am um, a former biology teacher, and I was in the public school system for about 12 years, um, being a biology teacher and a science specialist, and I absolutely loved it. It was wonderful. Um, When the channel started to grow really large um, to where I needed to um, move to part-time, then eventually full-time on the channel, that's just kind of when that changed, but that's kind of my history is, is teaching. Yeah. And um, I'm Serena. I was um, in public um, education too, but I was doing more research. So I worked for a large school district doing like all their um, different evaluations for their programs, um, which was really neat and awesome. But we did Amoeba Sisters on the side. Um, It's just kind of like a side hobby. And we did that for about four years before we realized that this could actually be a job which was really exciting. And uh, so we finally left our jobs about maybe two years ago to do Amoeba Sisters full time. Oh, that's that's so exciting. I I know a lot of teachers, including myself, (laughs) who have side gigs and side hustles. And that's so, (laughs) it's very cool that your passion became a full-time job. Yeah, we're we're very fortunate. We never expected it to be a full time thing, so we are uh, we enjoy every minute of it. Honestly, <laughs> that's amazing. So, how did the two of you collaborate to make the first Amoeba Sisters like video, or was it like a cartoon sketch, or how did the first thing come about? So, Serena, I'll probably let you tell that story. <laughs> okay, yeah, sure. Um, so it actually happened at my house, um, my apartment, um, my sister was visiting me for her birthday and, um, she was trying to figure out a way to make her lesson more engaging. And she, uh, Brianna kind of breaks (laughs) out into spontaneous science lessons. It's just kind of what she does, (laughs) which is a 
really fun aspect of her. Um, but she was talking about enzymes and she was comparing them to Pac-Man. And I actually have no science background whatsoever. Um, I just, you know, I took science and uh, high school and some in bio and some in college, but um, it was the first time a lesson stuck for me, and it was really exciting. And I just I couldn't stop thinking about it, and so I told her um, she should record that lesson on her cell phone. And then I really liked doodling. I didn't know how to draw, but I thought it was still fun. And so I told her I'd draw some little doodles to go with it, and we'd pop it up <laughs> on YouTube. And maybe that would help people that are like me that need to learn about enzymes because enzymes are awesome and very important for your body, um, but didn't really know how to relate to the content. So enzymes um, in Pac-Man <laughs> kind of ended up being our first video, and we put it out there, and it was so bad, Jason. <laughs> <laughs> we had no idea what we were doing, um, but... Uh, over time, like a long period of time, people started to comment, um, and I was really excited that they were students like me um, that were, you know, kind of like resonating with the content for the first time ever. So we made some more, and um, they're a better because I learned how to draw, finally, <laughs> and uh, Brie got better with recording, and um, so that's uh, kind of the format we've used since the very beginning. Right. Okay. So how did the name Amoeba Sisters come about? Like, like, <laughs> I, I, I just love that you, I just love the, the name Amoeba Sisters. Um, uh, yeah. So we literally picked that name because I didn't know how to draw and you cannot get mad at somebody for drawing an amoeba in a certain way because, <laughs> because it's amorphous. So I was like, this is perfect. You know, it's, um, they're blobs and I can draw that. So, uh, and, you know, I told Bree and she liked it. So that's just kind of how it happened. That's great. That's amazing. <laughs> did you did you expect the popularity to grow as much as it has? Or, is, or, or like, has it been a slow burn or did it kind of take off rapidly? Um, we definitely did not expect the growth. Um, I wouldn't say it was rapid. Um, <laughs> Bree, what do you think? Yeah, you know, it's funny. It, it started pretty slow. We just get kind of a, a few comments, but the comments we got were from students and they were people we didn't know. So we were pretty excited. <laughs> you know, if it was our parents or something, we'd probably think, oh, okay, there. But it was it was from people we didn't know and they were saying that they enjoyed it. But there were it was started out very slow. It really didn't start to grow a lot until maybe the, the third year, Serena, would you say? Yeah, yeah, that sounds right. And that's that was just unexpected, completely. Now, were the two of you close as sisters growing up, or was this something that brought you guys closer together? Like, this is a huge endeavor where you're probably having to work <laughs> together all the time. So, I I can't imagine if <laughs> if you if you were the type of sisters that maybe had a little animosity. Um, <laughs> Oh, we are yeah. very, very close. We grew up um, very close. We're, we're four and a half years apart, but our childhood is a lot of things that we did together. We were kind of little entrepreneurs together as kids. And um, it is interesting to have a business partner that is your sister, but it works out really well, I think, so far. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we've always been freakishly close. Um, and I, I like it that we are able to be very honest and blunt with each other sometimes in ways that I would never be with coworkers. <laughs> um, and I really think she brings out the best in me because 
you know, she knows what I'm capable of. So it's it's been a really good partnership. Aw, that's so cute. <laughs> <laughs> so making making some of your newer videos, I'm trying to think the last one, because I, I teach chemistry. Uh, I had a general science science class last semester, and definitely one of my favorite videos, I forget the name of it. It was like uh, explaining how how bacteria probably ate the chloroplast or the mitochondria. Uh, yes. um, love that video. I don't know if that's one of your newer ones, but just the scope. I was sitting there the other day and I was just thinking the scope of making these videos. How long does it take to make one of these things? You want to go for that one, Serena? Sure. Um <laughs> So um, since I do the drawing, I usually takes me the longest um, because Brie has been doing these science lessons for so long. She writes our scripts um, and then she sends them to me um, and then I kind of storyboard the script out um, and draw illustrations for it. Um, In the beginning, I had like, you know, maybe maybe 40 to 60 pictures per video, but um, as we started increasing the quality, I can have as many as 200 to 300 illustrations per video. So they'd probably take, a, if we did nothing else but videos, I think we could get it done in three weeks. But um, we also make comics and, and GIFs and um, a lot of other things. So it usually takes about once a month we get a video out. So the, the lion's, <laughs> I don't mean to cause a riff, but the lion's uh, share of the work is with the artist. Is that what we're saying here? I, I think so, just because it's, everything's <laughs> from scratch. Like, I mean, it, just having to draw the pictures is, takes a very long time. And I don't know where Brie pulls these scripts from, but I, I swear she pulls them from thin air and every single, single one she makes is genius. So, like, I wish I could work that quickly. But I think it's really those years of teaching, though, you know, yeah. you really start to get ideas because you've taught it so many years every year and every year you improve some. So I think um, we use a lot of storytelling in our videos. And I think mm-hmm. that really does um, that helps relate it to the to the person listening to the video. And I will say I don't have the Brianna has to go and edit the videos and that takes a really long time and that's not a job I would ever want to do. So <laughs> she's got to check everything to make sure it's perfectly accurate and uh, checks references and that will take her almost a full week just to do that. So right, you got it's yeah, you got to fact check yourself. I know about editing and my podcast isn't near the same level as your YouTube. <laughs> That's, that's awesome. One of the things I love that you said was that you guys you guys tell a story and analogies are a huge part of teaching any concept. Making something abstract, tangible to kids and tangible to your audience. I think that's so cool. Not only is the, the message tangible from the, you know, talking about the science, but then the cartoons have to tie into that, right? Like, if you're talking about Pac-Man, then you have to draw like a Pac-Man-esque cartoon that fits. Right. The best kind of teaching is storytelling. And it doesn't matter what subject, but you'll always remember the teachers that tell the best stories and tie it to curriculum. Yeah. And, and we do tie in a lot of childhood stories that we've had um, from some of the crazy animals we had as kids, um, to some of the <laughs> weirder things, you know, Brianna experienced in science class. And I think that really... Um, I think it makes it less intimidating to the student to um, just not to jump in with all the science jargon um, and to start with something that's, you know, 
maybe not necessarily relatable because they don't have a pet lizard, but something (laughs) that they can kind of laugh at and uh, is disarming. That is so true. I was talking to a couple of our biology teachers, and that's exactly what they said, is that the videos start simple, and then they expand from there. And that's one of the things they love about um, the way you guys present material. That's awesome. (laughs) So speaking of awesome stuff, what... What was the most enjoyable project that you've had to work on so far? Like what's, what's one that you would say, aha, that was mwah, so good, that one that we made? <laughs> well, you know, I bet my sister and I probably have some different opinions because for her, it might be more focused on the art. And for me, um, it's definitely more focused on the content um, that I've, I've been teaching. And one of the topics that really meant a lot to me was when we did the chromosome and karyotype project. It was for that video. And what's so interesting is, you know, I feel like I can teach something many years and I kind of get set in this way that I teach it, but I don't realize maybe the way I'm teaching it is actually leading to a misconception, or maybe I even have something incorrect and I've been teaching it all the time and everyone else around me is teaching it the same way. And, and it's just some, suddenly I realize um, sometimes when I'm going through these references and I'm reading up some more up-to-date Um, information and science papers, I realized that maybe this thing, this way I've been teaching it is not correct. And one thing I thought was so interesting in the chromosomes and karyotypes video was that it was about karyotypes, which are maps of chromosomes. And, you know, there's always this kind of thing where you'd look them up and sometimes it looks like there's one chromosome um, or there's um, like one chromosome piece when you're looking at the map for each chromosome. But in some other pictures, it looks like there's two pieces of chromosome, like the chromatids, which are these little segments of the chromosome attached. And it was really confusing because you would find different ones. And I didn't realize that sometimes um, it just looks like there's only one piece, but they're actually put together. And it's because this picture of the chromosomes, it's usually taken at or right before a step called metaphase. And there's this misconception that, you know, maybe there's just different kinds of karyotypes with one chromosome piece each or two chromosome pieces each, but actually there should be two sister chromatids. And um, when I'm teaching it, I really never emphasized that. That really was something I, I really hadn't thought of until I was making the content. And I was realizing, oh my goodness, I think I've had this kind of misconception about this and I'm able to put it into a video. I get so excited about that because I'm really able to address things that sometimes um, as a teacher, I, I really never thought about and that if I'm, I can explore it more. And I think creating really helps kind of show some of the misconceptions and, and potential mistakes I've had in the past. And it's just, those are the videos that really excite me. Oh, so cool. From an, uh, from an artistic standpoint, then, if that was the, the most exciting thing from scientific, what was, the, what was your favorite thing from an artistic standpoint? Oh, gosh. I love anything um, where I get to draw bacteria and um, <laughs> viruses. Um, our bacteria video is probably my very favorite. And I really love that one because I think it really captures like my sister because she's talking about her uh, childhood story about her misconceptions with bacteria. And it's always my hope that like it can really relate to the student. Like they had a similar misconception maybe now or when they were kids. Um, but kind of like you said, like I, I finished the art for that one and I was like, nah, that's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I also like it when Brie gives me a really complicated process, like um, our cell signaling video 
where I don't remember anything from high school. And so I'm relearning everything. Brianna has to literally teach me from scratch sometimes. Um, And I think my imagination can really light up at those times because I have no idea what it looks like and I don't remember anything about it. So those always come out a lot better, I think, because I'm, you know, really having to stretch my imagination of what that could uh, look like or how they, how I could um, communicate that to the student, this thing that I didn't know anything about and now I'm learning about. So, um, so those are probably my, my favorite kinds of videos. I will tack on to Brianna's answer. Um, one of the great things, even if you don't have a science background and you're doing science communication, you know, maybe as an artist or as a partner, um, I have to ask Bri a lot of like, what seems to me dumb questions. <laughs> and I don't think they're actually dumb. But, um, you know, whenever I ask Bri, I'm like, okay, this is probably a silly question. But I had to ask her uh, looking at that picture, like, is there one stick or is there two sticks on this chromatid? And Bri was <laughs> like, what? Like, what are you asking me? And then finally, that misconception gets sorted out. And I'm like, oh, we've had there's this giant misconception in this in this topic. And so then it turns into a whole new video, and those those are really fun, exciting moments for them, um, for us uh, when making a video. And and I bet you Brianna just loves explaining that to you too. <laughs> she sure does. <laughs> I, oh, I she gets so excited. <laughs> I, she, it's like she's uncovering like a conspiracy theory. <laughs> I swear, it's ridiculous. She just. She'll have like 10 books open and like she'll send me 15 websites and it will be like 12, like, you know, midnight. And she's just like, look at what I discovered. Like, this is a huge problem. We need to cover this. And I'm like, oh, no. Every time Brianna has an epiphany, it's going to be a really bad day for me the next day. It's like that meme. You've, I don't know if you've seen that meme where that I forget what show it's from. That guy's like trying to explain something, and there's all of these like pictures with strings going everywhere. <laughs> yes. It's exactly like that. Yes, it's it's very charming. I love that part of her, <laughs> but it does create a lot of work for me. <laughs> um, it's just the teacher that lives inside you. Once you once a teacher, always a teacher. If somebody's like, "Hey, what about this chemistry?" I'll talk for like three hours before checking my audience. Oh wait. <laughs> Nobody really cared past the first five minutes, so I'll just kind of move on here. <laughs> hey, let's. Uh, one of the things we always ask our guests, um, and this is a good good kind of time to 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 take a break and switch to it, is since this is the podcast, one of the things we always ask our guests is a story about pets they had growing up, um, even pets that don't have paws. Are <laughs> um, the people who listen really like the pet stories because I think it. It humanizes and makes these the people we're talking to uh, connect to us. Because mm. again, if, if I could talk about Bunsen all day, I will. Um, <laughs> do you do you guys have a, a pet story you could share? It could be the same one or a different one. Can I share mine, Serena? Yes, yours is the best. Okay, so I love dogs. Absolutely love dogs, and uh, we're wanting to get a dog. Um, when my son was like, he's 
so you'd be about four years old. So this was a while ago. And we were kind of, we were worried, you know, I don't know if we were going to have enough time to dedicate. We were kind of thinking about it and trying to plan it out. Well, my husband works at a hospital. And one day he was driving to the hospital, you know, he starts a really early shift and he's driving in and he sees this little puppy off on the Ooh. side of the highway. And he, so he, he parks his car and he kind of tries to coax the puppy across and he's like, oh my goodness, like, and the puppy kind of runs off. And so he looks around trying to find it, but he can't. So he starts to walk into the hospital because his work is about to start. And all of a sudden, this is like for almost from a movie, um, a security guard at the front says, um, sir, you can't bring your dog in here. <laughs> he turns around and the little puppy has followed him into the hospital. And oh my goodness. It was just the sweetest thing. So they actually held on to the puppy um, for him for just an hour so he could get his stuff together. They let him go home and bring the puppy home. And, you know, we put up signs and everything just to see if it had been someone's puppy that they were looking for. Um, we spent weeks trying to find the owner, but we couldn't. And it's turned out to be the best dog ever. She is um, have Jack Russell and have Beagle. And her name is Lady. And she is Aww. just an awesome dog. Oh, she'd be a little thing with big ears. Yes, yeah. She's just the best. Oh, that's such a great heartwarming story. That's awesome you gave that little dog a home. Yes, and it's just meant to be. <laughs> what about you? Well, I um, actually just got a puppy uh, last <gasps> September. Um, she's adorable. She's a rescue too, um, although we got her the more boring route of going through a uh, foster program. <laughs> um, but she is a collie mix. So she's got a long Ooh. nose and she's just turned about to be the best dog. She's uh, nine months now. And um, she is everything to me because I work from home and being an illustrator is really fun, but you sit behind a tablet for eight hours a day. <laughs> um, and so I forget to stand up a lot, and thanks to the puppy, I do not anymore. So, so she takes little uh, breaks outside with me and keeps me company. She's just like the best office dog ever. Um, I also have two office cats, um, but they are not quite as um, excitable as the puppy because they are both senior kitties. So They do a lot of sleeping. They do a lot of sleeping. A lot of sleeping. <laughs> Now, are they the stereotypical cats around computers where if you're not watching what you're doing, they're going to be on your tablet or on the keyboard? They used to be that way. And then I got <laughs> two little beds that go up on my window seal. And so they'll sit in those now um, because it's really hard to draw on your tablet when the cat's like batting at the, the little Wacom pens. <laughs> oh, We had to fix that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's always pros and cons to, to folks who work from home. Um, definitely a big pro if I was to do that was to, you know, we have to say goodbye to Bunsen every day and leave him. And it's really tough because he's big and he knows and he's smart and he does the little sad face when we leave. So <laughs> those are awesome stories. That's so great. Both of you, um, have given shelter dogs, uh, a loving household and an amazing life. They have really enriched our lives. Um, they, they are both the best dogs. I really think when you get one of those rescue dogs, it's, I don't know what it is, but they just always seem so grateful. And like, I feel like they're just so human in their emotions. Um, I, oh, and it's just so cute to watch them grow up. It's ridiculous. I have, I'm a crazy dog lady. I have like 
week by week pictures of Tallulah growing up, and it's <laughs> oh, you should see my phone. It is full of Bunsen. Oh, I've <laughs> seen your Facebook and Twitter page. I love Bunsen very much. <laughs> I think I saw one recently where uh, he was giving you a high five, and yeah. I was I taught my dog to do that too. It's just like the cutest thing ever. Every morning, I'm like, okay, Tallulah, high five, and she gives me one. And we go right into our office, and I'm like, okay, let's get going. So. Every dog's built a little different, and that's something Bunsen is really good at. He's terrible at like uh, jumping. I don't think he can jump at all. Like he's just <laughs> he's he, if he jumps, he can jump like two centimeters. Oh my you gosh. can trap him by putting like like my uh, you could put like a box of cereal around him and trap him <laughs> in this little, and he'd just be like, "Well, this is me now." But he's. <laughs> But oh my but gosh, you wouldn't think with him bouncing in the snow like he does, and yeah, well, yeah, like he, but he doesn't. If you watch him jump, he just he kind of just like launches, not jump. <laughs> he's, yeah, he's just too he's just too chonky. But um, I I know your collie probably is crazy athletic uh, and bouncy too. I bet she is. She's um she's a very interesting mix. She's got all kinds of stuff in her. So. Uh, yeah. She's not so jumpy, um, but she definitely can catch like a ball in midair now. Uh, she's Aww. gotten past most of the puppy awkward phase. And does the does your Jack Russell Beagle do any herding? Like, does it m- try to make sure everybody's in the same place? She does do that with the cat, and I, the cat actually, the cat and her are actually very good friends. Um, as long as the cat, you know, the cat's in the mood to be friends, you know how cats. Are. <laughs> <laughs> they are um she does kind of try to herd the cat and protect the cat and it is very cute to see that so oh, love that mm-hmm. what's your what's your beagle's name again lady 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 in tulu uh, yeah. tulula i'm sorry lady yes. in tulula oh love that that's great <laughs> have they made their way into your uh videos yet Yes, Lady is in our ecology video. Now, Tallulah is not. Yes, and we actually have a picture of her um, because we were talking about what a parasite is and how Mm -hmm. um, that could affect (laughs) the dog, for example. Um, Because when we found Lady, she unfortunately did have um, some parasites that had to be treated at the vet. But Serena, I don't think Lula's made it in yet, right? I know, when you get her in there. Yeah, we do. (laughs) Something about catching a ball. There you go. (laughs) When we get into physics, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, thanks for sharing your stories. That's so good. Such heartwarming heartwarming stories. That's great. Um, Back to science. Now, the the majority of your videos are on biology. Is is there something that you've been looking at in biology that you are really excited about coming in the future? Things on the horizon? Well, I know for for me, um, we have a genetic. Um, well, we're actually we're actually going to have a genetic problem solving review video, and I'm really excited about it because we want to use some real life examples um, that are perhaps a little bit different or better defined from our older genetic videos. And we want to have something on epigenetics. We're really fascinated by that. I'm learning about that. Ooh, yeah. Um, courses um, that I'm taking, and I'm just really fascinated by it. That's something that we never covered in high school um, mm-hmm. or actually in my um, undergrad. Um, so I, I really think it would be something neat to explore. Well, I know an epigenetic researcher. Uh, she was on the last episode of the podcast. <laughs> yes, I actually, I listened to that one, and that was it was so fascinating. We just followed her on Twitter, actually. Um, oh, Dr. Samantha Wilson, she's amazing. Yes. 
yes, we just followed her. I, her um, That was so interesting to hear about that because I had just been learning about that in the course. And then sure enough, you had a very recent podcast on that. And I'm just like, oh, <laughs> fascinating. What a neat topic. Yeah, it's so cool. I, I knew nothing going into that. And I had to ask her like some really basic questions. Um, and it was, it is so fascinating. So I can't wait for that video on genetics you're talking about. Yes. We're hoping that will come out sometime soon. We've got a lot of projects, so we'll see. Bree's had a lot of epiphanies lately. (laughs) How about you, Serena? Is there anything in science that fills you with wonder that you, that you're just really excited about that maybe not biology related, but just science in general? Yes. I have been waiting for four years to make an immune system video and this month was finally the month with Brianna was like okay it's time and so I've been (laughs) waiting for this moment forever so we're having that um, released probably the end of February or beginning of March and I am just having a blast making this video it's everything I love um I watch a lot of anime and there's an anime called Cells at Work um, that just talks a lot about, you know, different types of white blood cells, red blood cells, um, you know, the, the immune system. I think system. my son was watching that the other day. Oh, I'm sorry to interrupt you. No, please do. It's so good. He, um, he showed me a clip. I'm, I don't, I haven't watched it. He showed me a clip of like, it was like a hallway and then they went in somewhere and there's like a scary dude who was supposed to be like a virus or something and then oh, they yeah. fought. So is that what it's about? It's like anthropomorphizing? Yeah, it's like anthropomorphic um, cells. And it's really (laughs) well done. Like, it's extremely educational, but also, I mean, it really gives – talk about storytelling. You know, each episode is like a whole new story of something happening to this body. And um, I just love it. Um, It just makes my imagination go insane. So – um, I've been wanting to do immune system video for so long. And when that anime came out, I'm just like, you know, just like sitting there, like <laughs> salivating. I'm like, I need to make this video so bad. So that's what gets me really excited. I think it will be a really fun project. You know, that's great. In Kent and Alberta, we, our curriculum is separated into like really academic stuff and then less, less academic stuff. And in the less academic stuff, there's a whole section on the immune system. And when I, when I've taught that the kids get so excited about the immune system, uh, especially the, the, the boys who are maybe more jaded with school because it's almost like a war. It's like a hierarchy, hierarchical system of war, just about like, um, I don't know if that's what your video is going to tie into, or just like, if this fails, there's this, and then this happens. And it's like, it's almost like a, it's almost like a video game really. Yeah, no, that's the same reason I like it too. Um, I play a a lot of video games. Um, and to me, it's like you're building an army and you're, there's a lot of strategy involved and anything where you can personify the characters and each of them have special (laughs) abilities. I just think that's so much fun. Put an army hat on a B cell or something like that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I got white blood cells that are secret service and tanks oh. coming in and oh, I can't wait. mucus membrane forts. It's going to be awesome. <laughs> Cute little mucus cannons. <laughs> okay. Now, before I have just a follow-up question I'm interested about. Now, your brain went that way with creativity. Does then Brianna have to 
wrap the science into that? Or is it, do you guys work together when things like this happen? So <laughs> you tell, um, them, Bray, tell them how you have to raise Because you're like, we need a tank, we need a tank, and we need a secret service guy. And then, and then Bran is like, what? Science. You know, I'm so what? glad you bring that up, Jason, because it, it really is a very big challenge because, you know, it was so interesting. Serena and I were at this conference and there was um, someone that approached us and said, you know, I really like what you both do. I just don't think I could ever do something like that because it seems like sometimes science, it can't be funny like that, or it's not taken seriously. And I, I really reflected on what he said. And I totally understand that sometimes when you try to make science have this humor, like you really have to be careful that you have your accuracy too. If you have all this, you know, this really exciting stuff. And so <laughs> I really, I really have to go through what she draws and say, okay, you know, all of, a lot of our cells have eyes and, and that would be something that would not be accurate. And so we do have a, a note about that and things. Um, but we do <laughs> sure that when we're doing the what, cells don't have eyes, <laughs> <laughs> but when we're talking about, uh. <laughs> or photosynthesis and we're going through the process, I try to really make sure that it's as accurate as possible. But it is a constant battle. And sometimes our edit documents um, that show all the changes uh, that I'm requesting her to make, it, it gets a little wild. <laughs> <laughs> I get so repressed, Jason. <laughs> oh, it's all coming out now. It's coming out. You're hearing it now, folks. Here's all that animosity. <laughs> I don't have uh, I don't have a lot of artistic ability, um, but explaining it, it's it's it, explaining different sciences it works for me. But then if another teacher was like listening to me, they'd be like, I don't know how to make your story relate to anything. Like it's just so it's so cool that the two of you have that back and forth, and you have such an amazing product by the end of it. Even even if even if you have to say, well, our cells can't have eyes, and uh, that you that this guy actually is in the submarine. So. <laughs> Those are the best conversations is when we have to make a compromise like that. That's funny. You, <laughs> know, you can't have you, a tank, but the submarine's fine. <laughs> if you were to tape that, that would be the craziest debate ever. <laughs> That's a really good idea. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, we're, get, we're nearing the end of uh, the interview section of the podcast. And one of the things I love asking guests is for a super fact. And a super fact is something that they know that when – they tell people it kind of like blows their mind. It doesn't have to be science related, um, but it's a great way to kind of close things out. Do you, do you, do either of you have a super fact you could share with us? I have one. I know you have one. <laughs> <laughs> you probably have an arsenal full of them. Go for it, Brie. Okay. So when I was um, in high school for the science fair, I learned that, you know, viruses can attack any living thing. And one thing I learned is that they can attack insects. And I did a project on a virus that attacks um, insects that are pests for crops. And it was a really neat um, science exper experiment. We actually got to work with it and see how it worked and how it infects um, different types of insects. It was called the nuclear polyhedrosis virus. And it was neat. But one thing I did not learn in high school, um, and it wasn't really discussed much um, in my undergrad either, is that, you know, viruses, since they can attack 
attack any living thing, they can also attack bacteria. And, you know, there's so much about um, antibiotic resistant bacteria and um, these types of bacteria that don't really respond well to the antibiotics that we have available. And I've been learning, and I'm so fascinated about it, about phage therapy. And it's the... It's the concept of using uh, viruses to attack bacteria. And what's really amazing is, you know, the viruses are so specific. So um, it can usually um, be something where it's specifically going to target certain bacteria. And these can be antibiotic resistant bacteria. And, you know, one of the sources that we use as a factual reference for a lot of our videos is we use this open source peer reviewed um, biology stacks textbook. It's, it's really neat. Um, and it's, it's got a, a creative commons license. It's a great reference for me to check facts. And one thing I read there that I thought was really interesting is that they've actually already been using um, the U.S. Food and Drug Administration, where I am, they actually have already approved spraying meats um, with this bacteriophage. I mean, it wow. destroys food pathogen. Yes, uh, listeria on meats. And so I just thought that was really fascinating um, that, you know, you can have um, bacteria that can be attacked by these viruses. And it's still something that's really explored. And I'm not an expert on it by any means, but it's something I'm really, it's a neat fact that I'm really exploring right now. Yeah, that whole area is just crazy cool. Um, yeah. Though if it goes bad, I think you get the plot to the Will Smith movie, I Am Legend. I think that's <laughs> what turned everybody into uh, the vampire things. But. <laughs> Yes, I do. Sometimes that, that does go through my mind, that movie. But, you know, them being so specific, it's just, it's a neat thing to read about. I just, I don't know, I'm fascinated by it. I'm trying to read everything I can about it now. And I'm hoping to find a science communicator that specializes in that just to connect with and learn more. Yeah, the phages are so cool. Um, I, I have a, it's not going to be out for a couple weeks, but I interviewed a virologist uh, who was a, a doctorate in the, how viruses work. Um, oh. and, and yeah, and he was talking about some of that and then how that within, like within a few decades, we be, we have the ability to make viruses because viruses aren't alive. They're just a jumble of molecules. And that's both exciting and terrifying where you could potentially just make a phage to, to, <laughs> to kill bacteria. Like it doesn't have to even exist in nature. You can just engineer the thing, oh, that's which so is crazy. Funny. That's nuts. I can't yeah. wait to to that one yeah <laughs> is that is that good for the su uh, super fact or do you have one serena oh no i i'm sure brie has many more interesting super facts than i do <laughs> yeah <laughs> all the super facts i've learned are from brie <laughs> well, i i have a super question for you it's not a super fact but it's a super question oh yeah what what program do you use to edit and draw your your stuff like if that's totally outside of my wheelhouse so um i <laughs> It started out with a very low budget, so I used MS Paint in the beginning. <laughs> I don't recommend doing that, but you can do some amazing stuff with MS Paint. Um, but I use Sketchbook um, Autodesk by Autodesk right now. And then oh, okay. um, to combine all our pictures and audio together, we use Camtasia. So um, okay. I, I don't know if they're the best, but they're what I know, and I – feel like they're very easy and intuitive to learn, which is awesome. And also Sketchbook is free, which is always a huge plus in our books. Mm -hmm. Yeah, free is good. Yeah, yeah, free is awesome, especially when you're a teacher <laughs> or a student. Yeah. 
my podcast software is Audacity and it's free and it's oh, yeah. really powerful. So I, until I find something better, that's way better that, <laughs> that is worthwhile spending the money on. It's not worth it. <laughs> yep. Well, that's cool. Thank you for answering my super question. Yeah. Bet. <laughs> Sorry. I just kind of lost my train of thought. Bunsen came over and smashed me with his head. <laughs> <laughs> my dog just came back from a walk with my husband and she's like, hello. <laughs> I haven't seen you in centuries. <laughs> well, this is kind of the end of the interview. Um, it was, it was just fantastic to chat with both of you professionally. It is just so exciting that I get to talk to you because your, your stuff that you guys have made, your creative, whimsical, amazing YouTube cartoons I use in my classroom. So just like for myself professionally, I'm just so, so grateful that you took the time to talk to me on the podcast today. Oh, we are honored, honored to be on the podcast and we just love what you're doing. Uh, thanks so much for having us. Thank you. Can you, can you guys plug all the stuff that you're doing? It, like if people check out the Amoeba Sisters website, they'll be blown away by all the tie-in stuff that you have. But this is your chance to plug your amazing creative projects. Um, so what do you got on tap for us? So what you got, Brie? <laughs> okay. Well, we do have a YouTube channel, the Amoeba Sisters, but then we also have a science webtoon, which is on our website, amoebasisters.com. And we have um, comics, which are on Paramecium Parlor and Chips. <laughs> on the website and they're all science related. And um, we also have a handout to go to our videos. That is so cool for the educators that are listening. So um, they're really handy and they, and they, even if you're going to change them, they're a starting point and they're so good. Thank you for providing that for people. Thank you. And you guys have a merch shop, don't you? <laughs> we do. Yeah. We have no idea what we're doing. <laughs> <laughs> so we let Redbubble do most of it. So, um, I upload my artwork to Redbubble, and they uh, make really nice-looking products that I could never make in my wildest dreams. Um, and, yeah, we have that up on our website, too. That's that's exactly what I do with the Bunsen merch. It goes to, <laughs> it goes to Teespring and then oh, yeah. Magic T-shirts and, and then coffee cups. <laughs> they know what they're doing. <laughs> they do. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you both so much for taking the time to talk to us, and we'll keep tabs on you both uh, on YouTube. And um, I'm so excited to I'm so excited about that both the genetics one and then the immune system video that are, that is coming out soon. So um, we'll make sure that Bunsen has links to that that he tweets out. Awesome! Thank you so much, Jason, for having us. We really appreciate it. Okay. Well, both of you guys take care. You too. Thanks. Hey, everybody! I just want to give a quick shout out to our sponsor, Genius Lab Gear. Genius Lab Gear is giving everybody 10% off everything at their store if you use the code BUNSEN10. That's B-U-N-S-E-N 10. Genius Lab Gear has a ton of cool stuff. We love that they sent Bunsen a bandana that says PhD Emotional Support Dog. It's so cute. Also, they have these little wallet-sized stencils for doing organic molecules. And if you're not a scientist or a science teacher, there's gear at the site that you would like as well, including Sciences for Everyone stickers and a whole bunch of other stuff. Check them out. That's at GeniusLabGear.com. It's time for Woo or Wow. And on Woo or Wow, I have a co-host and the co-host is Dan Fry. How are you doing today, Dan? Doing good. Thank you. Uh, hey, Dan, where are you calling in from? I'm calling in from New Glarus, Wisconsin, a little town just south of Madison. 
Now, how how did you find out about the podcaster Bunsen? Because you're one of our patrons. Right. So I, I'm pretty sure it was from either Dog Rates on Twitter or I Pet That Dog on Twitter. Bunsen. Ah replied or or posted on and then i started following bunsen on twitter and fell in love with the podcast and oh, that's awesome those are two such a, such wholesome accounts on twitter the toxicity of twitter fades away with the more animal accounts you follow and i think that's important for people <laughs> it, it really is and just real quick when i first started doing things on twitter i was i, I was really being brought down it was really affecting me negatively and then i found dog rates and i found i pet that dog and and i got rid of the other ones that i was following that were a bad influence and they have really helped as has bunsen oh that's awesome and is your family coping okay with the coronavirus crisis we are doing fine yes um, both my me and my wife and and our families are all healthy and we're both very lucky in that we can work from home and stay busy and stay productive. So yes. Oh, that's awesome. Not everybody's in that same boat, but I'm, I'm glad to hear that you guys are doing okay for sure. All right. You ready to start Woo or Wow? I, I am ready. Yes. We'll see. <laughs> okay. So if this is the first time you're listening to the podcast in Woo or Wow, I read three statements. Two of them are fake and one of them is true. And you have to find the true statement. And the theme this week is amoebas, because our guest this week is the Amoeba Sisters. All right. Well, I know very little, very little about amoebas, but I don't think that's I don't think that's going to matter a whole lot because I've traditionally done very poorly on Woo Wow. So here we go. All right. All right. All right. Yeah. You know what? It's I think if I was on the other end of it, I would do just as poorly because I'm lucky I do the research. I always know, but <laughs> I don't know anything before I do the research. Yeah. All right. Here we go. You ready for the first statement? I am ready. In the popular old school game, The Oregon Trail, the amoeba was the cause for your parties getting sick and leading to the dreaded, you have died of dysentery screen. Oh, I'm I'm too old to have played Oregon Trail. I'm familiar with it, but I'm... Uh... I'm too old, so I have no idea on that one. Ah, so you've never played the Oregon Trail? I never have, no. Okay, gotcha. <laughs> okay, second statement. Slime molds are actually a mass of ground-dwelling amoeba. I just read a very interesting thing in science news about slime mold uh, modeling being used to help model the, the structure of the universe, which I thought was really interesting. But it doesn't help me answer this question either. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, slime molds are slime molds are fascinating. I think one of the one of these days I'm going to do a, a science article with there's timely news about them. They're really interesting. Okay. All right, ready for the, the last statement? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the brain eating amoeba Enfilari is found all over the world in fresh and saltwater systems. It just takes a very unlucky day for it to find a pathway into your body and then your brain. Hmm, okay, so two of those are woo and one is wow. That's right, only one is true. Do you want me to recap or are you good? I, I definitely need you to recap. <laughs> All right, in the classic video game, The Oregon Trail, and if you've never played The Oregon Trail, it was set during the westward expansion in the United States where people were trying to get from the east coast to the west coast. Mm -hmm. Many people got sick and died 
and in the video game that happened and a screen would come up, you have died of dysentery. That disease was caused by amoebas. The second statement, slime molds are actually a mass of ground-dwelling amoeba. The third statement, the brain-eating amoeba is found all over the world in fresh and saltwater systems. It just takes an unlucky day to find its way to your brain. Okay, so the third statement feels to me like the most likely one to be true just because the world is out to kill us in so many different ways that <laughs> seems like another way that it might be trying to do that. So I think the third statement is the wow. Okay. So just read off the bat. You're good with the first two being fake. Yeah. I have absolutely no idea on the first two. Um, <laughs> so I'm going to, I'm going to go with the third being the the true one. All right. Okay. Final answer? Yeah, final answer. Okay, we've locked you in. Okay, let's take a look at the first statement. The Oregon Trail game, the thing that caused people to get sick wasn't an amoeba. It was actually a bacteria called Shigella. All right. So you got that one right. Yeah. So, but it was it was devastating. Um I I in doing research of it, the amount of people that got sick and died of dysentery on that westward expansion is staggering and like some some epidemiologists actually say we probably shouldn't joke about it it shouldn't be a joke because um it's too much time has gone past we don't know the human loss that happened but it was it was from contaminated drinking water there were only so many places people could stop to camp safely um and those areas were always around water and those water areas got super contaminated with bacteria yeah so, but there is a type of amoeba that causes uh, a dysentery, but it's not the one that is featured in the Oregon Trail. Okay. All right. Cool. All right. So we're down to two statements, slime molds yes. and the brain-eating amoeba. Okay. You said the brain-eating eating amoeba statement was true, and it is not true. It's not true. Oh. oh. Uh, <laughs> The, the brain-eating amoeba is only found so far in fresh water in warm climates. And that's why, it, yeah, that's why it attacks the brain so rapidly because the brain is warm just like the warm water that it comes from. So, the people, yeah, the people that have been infected, are, and there's been no cases in Canada so far. They're from the southern states in North America, like Texas and Florida, where there's been warmer areas during the summer. Okay. And All right. right. Yeah, and, and it is true the it's kind of I kind of faked you out. It does it's you just have to have the worst luck ever for it to get into your body because it the amoeba lives in the sediment and it ha basically you have to stir that up and then somehow get it into your body. Is the uh, do you know is the brain eating amoeba also or the the that thing also in uh, Australia cuz Pretty much everything in Australia is trying to kill you, isn't it? <laughs> I would assume that it could survive there. Uh, I don't have that in front of me. The, the cases I researched were from the southern United States. You'll need um, to ask the uh, the penguin person from last week, which was an awesome guest, by the way. Oh, yeah. I'll, I'll shoot uh, Dr. Uh, Corbett a, a message and see what she says. And you're right. Yeah, many things, many things in Australia are out to get you. By the way, real quick, I'm I'm still laughing over the uh, the story she told about the uh, chicken farmer and the penguins are just chickens in fancy dinner suits. <laughs> oh, that was so good! Hey, <laughs> there's I 
There's actually a whole movie about Swampy, the eccentric chicken farmer guy that had those uh, maruma, uh, maramas. Um, there's a whole movie about it that's, uh, that was made in Australia. Yeah, it, looked, it looks pretty funny, actually. Cool. But that, that leaves the slime mold statement being true. Uh, slime molds were thought to be made of, you know, fungus. But when they took a look at what they were made of, they're made of a whole mass of oozing amoeba that live in the ground. Um, and slime molds are still being studied by scientists. They're fascinating. They can have, they have group think, they think, so they can move and think together as a giant unit. It's like the more amoeba you stack together, the smarter they get, which is very unlike humans. I think the more humans you put in a group and decide to have them make decisions, the worse decisions the group makes. <laughs> I don't know if that's your experience. <laughs> yes, it is. Yes, it is. I guess I could have, uh, if I had thought a little harder, maybe I could have deduced that because amoebas are single-celled organisms, right? Yes. And and the thing I read just this morning about the slime mold, it mentioned them being single-celled organisms. So if I would have thought about that a little bit more, I might have, maybe I've gotten that right, but probably not. <laughs> It's it's always tough. You did pretty good. You got definitely got the one uh, for sure, and there was elements of truth in the second one. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you're you're good at uh, you're good at obfuscating those things. <laughs> well, thanks so much for joining us for We're Wow, Dan. It, it was really cool to talk to you and have you as my co-host. Thank you. It, it was a lot of fun. I appreciate it. <laughs> All right, you take care and stay safe, Dan. All right, thank you. All right, it's time for story time with me. Adam. Okay, it's that time of the podcast where we talk about stories that happened during this week with Bunsen, the burner science dog. Mom, do you have any interesting stories that happened this week? You know what? I do. We took our vehicle in for its annual checkup, and in order to do that, we both had to drive in, and then uh, one of us would drive both of us home. Um, So we took the vehicle in, but prior to that, I said to Bunsen, I said, hey, do you want to come to town? And he was so excited. He started to bite his lip. He started to prance around. And then Jason said, we're not taking him. And I said, what? And Bunsen said, what? Because I think he heard or he knew something was different about your voice. So he felt dejected. (laughs) And he was like so sad. And then he wouldn't leave my side because I said, no, it's fine. We're going. And so he wanted to make sure that he was going to be able to get into the vehicle and come for a ride because he loves it. And it's kind of like a break from, you know, the COVID-19 quarantine where we've all been um, stuck at home and he's been stuck at home too. But so we, we kind of got a little bit of, a, of an outing out of it. Yeah, that's one thing. Bunsen loves car rides. He, I think we've mentioned that before, but he, he loves car rides. The only problem with owning a giant dog is he takes up the spot of a full-size person. He'll just sit in the seat in the car and he'll take up the he'll take up the space of me. <laughs> It'll be like there's two people sitting in the back instead of one person and a dog. Yeah. So he also actually takes up more than his own seat. He puts his paws over the seat and then he rests his head against the window. <laughs> I think just so he can not have to hold himself up the entire time. All right, Dad, is there any cool things that happened with Bunsen this week? I have a really quick uh, short story. Just because every day with Bunsen has been really fun, there's really nothing that sticks out too much, except for... Hi, Bunsen. 
except for he loves um, toilet paper rolls. And there was a mega toilet paper roll. It was a paper towel roll? Yeah, it was a paper towel roll from an old bounty, like Bounty, the quicker picker upper, or whatever it's called. And and then was it me or you that gave it to him? Oh, it was me. I said, hey, would you like this? Would you like this? And his eyes lit up and he did. And he took it um, and ran. But we've already told the story about when he picks up garbage and um, how he passed his level three because you have to do toy p- pickup. He wasn't picking up toys. He was picking up toilet paper rolls. He was picking up garbage. He's a good recycler dog. Yeah. Um, so he took it and I was like, oh no. And then he immediately like took it over to his like corner of the room and started to shred it. And I was like, Bunsen, stop that. And then he does this thing. We've mentioned it before. And I got a picture of it. It's on Twitter where he puts his paw over the thing he's not supposed to have. And then looks away from you. Like you, you can't see this cause my big paws on it. And if I don't make eye contact contact with you, I'm invisible. Yeah, nothing to see here. But I could see it, and I took it away, and he was very sad puppy. So that's my quick story. All right, so my story is a story of backstab, betrayal, and heartbreak. So I took Bunsen out for a walk, you know, nothing too special. But then he decides to ram into my back and push me over into the snow. <laughs> now that wouldn't be a big deal, but my but Dad's boots, like rain boots, got filled to the top basically with snow and slush and icky i put the boots away thinking oh it's not that much well it was that much and when yeah they're half full of snow (laughs) when dad went to put his boots on (laughs) it was like full of snow and water so thanks bunsen he if he hits you you're going over you're yeah if he hits you you're going over you might be thinking oh it's fine you'll just play with him no you're going flying (laughs) you're gonna get hit to saturn (laughs) all right so that's been story time with me adam next podcast hopefully we're doing uh mailbag if not that's okay we might be doing something crazy because sometimes we run out of ideas But yeah, it's been a nice one. Have a good day. That's the end of the podcast this week. Thanks so much for tuning in week after week, guys. So appreciate it. Special thanks to the Amoeba Sisters, Serena Williams and Brianna Rapini. I've got some links in the show notes to some of their hilarious, awesome educational videos. Make sure you check them out. We also give a shout out to our top tier patrons on Patreon. And they are Andrea Persons. Bianca Hyde, Brooke Lavallo, Daniel Fry, Elizabeth Bourgeois, Judith Martin, Karen Beth St. George, Catherine Lynch, Kathleen Zerker, Mary Coos, Marianne McNally, Ben Rathert, Liz Button, Rebecca Rutherford. Thanks so much, patrons. Remember, if you want to get your name shouted out, head over to our Patreon page. Stay safe, everybody out there on this sheltering in place business. And let's end with Bunsen's motto for science, empathy, and cuteness.